Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 4 for July 21 to 27 Joyous and Thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 10. Sabbath afternoon, July 21. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're now delving deep into the book of 1 Thessalonians and we're going to see what Paul wrote and see how it related to the people he spoke to and wrote for but also what it means to us. We pray that your Spirit will guide us, that we may more fully understand your great love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that again, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and the labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The key thought for this week is, Paul has many good things to say to the Thessalonians, at least when he begins writing to them in the first letter. What he praises them for is worthy of our attention. Paul opens his first letter to the Thessalonians by emphasising prayer and stressing how much he prays for them, which itself reveals the deep love and concern he has for the church there. In this passage, Paul then rejoices that the Thessalonians, on the whole, appear to be remaining faithful. Their lives offer abundant evidence of the life-changing power of the Spirit, despite the many challenges that they face. Paul concludes his first chapter by remarking how the Thessalonians' openness to Paul and his teaching led them to become true Adventists. They were believers who lived every day in anticipation of the day that Jesus would come from heaven to deliver them from the wrath to come. In this lesson, we get an intimate glimpse of how new converts dealt with the challenges that come after evangelism has taken place. Sunday, July 22, a prayer of thanks, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 to 3. In the opening words of 1 Thessalonians, we catch a glimpse of the selflessness of Paul. While he was clearly the author of this letter, and we read about that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, chapter 3, 5, and chapter 5, 27, he gives recognition to his co-workers, Silas and Timothy. Question. Read First Thessalonians 1, 1 to 3. For what things are Paul, Silas, and Timothy giving thanks? What do these things mean in a practical sense? That is, how would they be manifested in daily life? For example, how is the work of faith expressed in how we live? 
Well, let's read First Thessalonians 1, 1 to 3. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. The opening of this letter is typical of ancient Greek letters, but with the interesting twist. To the typical Greek opener, Grace, Paul adds the familiar Jewish greeting, Peace, Shalom, in Hebrew. Grace and Peace, apt descriptions of what an experience with Jesus is all about. Who was Silvanus? The name reflects Latin equivalent of the Aramaic name Silas. Jews who lived outside Palestine usually adopted Greek or Latin names to go along with their Jewish ones. This is how Saul became Paul. Silas was a Jerusalem Christian like Mark, who was one of Paul's first travelling companions. By having trusted leaders of the Jerusalem church with him on his missionary journeys, Paul was doing his best to maintain unity in the church. Question. What group of words in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 to 3 has become famous because of the way they are used in 1 Corinthians 13. Which of them has the primary emphasis in 1 Corinthians, and why? Well, let's read that again. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. In his prayers, Paul concentrates on reality, not giddy spirituality, Faith provokes serious work. Genuine love produces much labor, and hope requires much patience. The stress in these words is on action, not abstract ideas. The order of faith, love, and hope varies in the New Testament, but the most important of the three is listed last in each case, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. The order of these words in verse 3 underlines the importance of last-day events in Paul's mind throughout the writings of these two letters to the Thessalonians. Paul is also thankful before God because he remembers the way in which the Thessalonians have responded to the gospel. He probably hopes too that their positive emotional response to the praise Paul offers them will incline them to be more open to the concerns that he will soon express to them. Monday, July 23. God has chosen you, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. 
What does it mean that God has chosen or elected us? Does that mean we don't really have a choice? On the other hand, does it mean that someone who is not chosen by God cannot have salvation even if he or she wants it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Verse 4 continues the same extended sentence that Paul began in verse 2 with, We give thanks. One of the reasons Paul gives thanks to God is that he knows God has chosen the Thessalonians. Some Christians have taken this idea of being chosen to an extreme. They want to move the believer away from any focus on lifestyle or behavior. Instead, they teach that our salvation depends on God's choice rather than on our own. Such a teaching can also lead to the idea that God's grace is only for a few and that, once saved, a person cannot choose to be lost. Question. How do the following texts help us to understand that salvation is our own choice? And first of all, we look at Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? And Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Faith is impossible without God's drawing power. Yet in the end, God allows human beings to make their own decisions regarding Him and what He has done for us. And what He has done for us is to choose us in Christ. We have all been elected to have salvation. That some won't be saved, won't claim that salvation for themselves, reflects their choice, not God's. God's choice is for all humanity to be saved. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So to finish today, think through what it means to know that you have been chosen by God, that God wants you to have salvation, and that to be lost is an aberration from God's desire for all of us. What encouragement can you draw from this wonderful truth? Tuesday, July 24, Assurance in Christ, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Question, read 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. How do we gain the assurance that we are right with God? What three evidences in the lives of the Thessalonians indicated to Paul that they were right with God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5.
For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 5 begins with for or because. In this verse, Paul details the grounds for his conviction that the Thessalonians were chosen by God. He is also underlining further reasons as to why his prayers are so filled with thankfulness. Paul rejoices at the real-life evidence that the Thessalonians have responded to God and that he approves of them. Paul begins the verse with rejoicing at a visible and outward sign of the Thessalonians' position before the Lord. Their acceptance of the gospel was not merely a mental assent to teachings or doctrine. Their daily lives exhibited the presence and power of God. In everyday church life, things were happening that could be explained only as divine interventions. Prayers were answered and lives changed. The reality of their faith was being manifested in their works. Question. How does one know that the Holy Spirit is present and real in one's life and in the local church? Well, first of all, we look at Galatians chapter 5 and verses 19 to 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The fruit of the Spirit is powerful evidence that God is actively working. Things such as love, joy and peace can be faked only for so long. But in the day-to-day -day stress of relationships within the church, the genuine is eventually sifted from the false. When the Holy Spirit is a living presence, things that are not natural to sinful human beings start to become natural in the life of the believer. Christians find themselves doing acts of grace and kindness that would not have occurred to them before. 
Paul saw plenty of evidence that the lives of the Thessalonians had been changed by the supernatural working of the Spirit. For Paul, the final evidence that God had chosen the Thessalonians was their deep conviction and inner assurance that the gospel was true and that God was real in their lives. Though such convictions don't prove true in every case, strong assurance that we are right with God usually accompanies the genuine gospel. So to finish the day, how much assurance of salvation do you have? On what, in the end, must that assurance be based? Wednesday, July 25, doing what Paul would do, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. Question. Read 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7. What is Paul's message there? How are we to understand this in light of the idea that Christ is our ultimate example? 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7. And you became followers of us as of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Most translations do not show this, but in verse 6, Paul continues the same sentence that he began in verse 2 and carries it on through verse 10. The main topic of this lengthy sentence is Paul's list of reasons for the thanksgivings that he recites in his prayers. Verses 6 and 7 add two items to that list of thanksgivings, building on the because at the beginning of verse 5. Paul gives thanks because the Thessalonians have both imitated him and his colleagues and have themselves become an example to imitate. We often caution people that it is dangerous to imitate anyone but Christ. That's true, because even the best of people will let us down sometimes. But in reality, we need role models. People need each other at times for guidance, counsel, and help in working through special issues and even hard times. Who hasn't experienced the blessing of good counsel and of a good example? Also, whether we like it or not, once we become leaders in the church, people will imitate us. How important then that veteran Christians live what they preach and model the things that they say. At the same time, Paul has placed a couple of safeguards here. First of all, the imitation, verse 6, follows the receiving of verse 5. The primary focus of the Thessalonians was on receiving the word of God and applying it directly to their lives through the Holy Spirit. God's word can always be trusted. Second, Paul directs them to the Lord as the primary model. In verse 6, what Jesus did and would do is a much safer model than what even Paul would do. After all, Paul was under no illusion about himself or his character. Having said this, however, Paul affirms their desire to imitate him as a beloved teacher and mentor and also to become models worthy of imitation themselves. In this particular case, what was being modelled was joy in suffering. Suffering can make one bitter or better. 
In the context of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Thessalonians discovered supernatural joy in the midst of suffering, just as Paul and Silas had earlier in Acts chapter 16. So, to finish today, what kind of role model are you in the church? What ways in which you conduct yourself about your life are good for others to follow? What ways aren't? Thursday, July 26, Further Evidence of Faith, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-10 Question, read 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-10 In what ways does this passage offer additional evidence of the Thessalonians' faith? Verse 8 For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul continues the sentence that began in verse 2 by explaining how he knows the Thessalonians have become a model or type to the other believers in Macedonia, where Thessalonica was located, and Achaia, where Corinth was located. First, they were a model of evangelistic effort and success. From them the word of God rang out into both these provinces and beyond, Paul also considered them to have a model faith because of their openness to him and the gospel. They were willing to be taught. They were also willing to make radical changes in their lives, such as giving up idols and other popular forms of worship. Communication was relatively rapid in the ancient Roman world, thanks to a well-built Roman roads and widespread travel. So the claim that their faith was known everywhere may indicate that people in places such as Rome and Antioch had already made reference to it in their communication with Paul. It is also true that people want to live up to the high expectations of others. Praise contains an implied expectation. By praising their faith in such an overwhelming fashion, Paul was encouraging them to grow in that faith more and more. It seems there was something uniquely remarkable about their conversion. As pagan idolaters, they had to overcome two major barriers. First was the crazy message about some man who was dead and came back to life again. Then there was the fact that it was a crazy Jewish message. Many Gentiles probably laughed when they heard the Christian message. The Thessalonians didn't. Instead, they completely rearranged their lives in light of the gospel. From the book Acts of the Apostles, page 256, we read, The Thessalonian believers were true missionaries. Their hearts burned with zeal for their Saviour, who had delivered them from fear of the wrath to come. Through the grace of Christ, a marvellous transformation had taken place in their lives, and the word of the Lord as spoken through them was accompanied with power. Hearts were won by the truths presented, and souls were added to the number of believers. So to finish today, 
Read again 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What's Paul talking about? What is the wrath to come? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with the point he is making? Why is this promise so crucial to all that we believe? And we've got three sets of texts to look at to answer that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. 4. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And John chapter 11 verses 24 and 25. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Friday, July 27. From the book The Acts of the Apostles, page 255 and 256, we read, The arrival of Silas and Timothy from Macedonia during Paul's sojourn in Corinth had greatly cheered the apostle. They brought him good tidings of the faith and charity of those who had accepted the truth during the first visit of the gospel messengers to Thessalonica. Paul's heart went out in tender sympathy toward these believers who, in the midst of trial and adversity, had remained true to God. He longed to visit them in person, but as this was not then possible, he wrote to them. In this letter to the church at Thessalonica, the apostle expresses his gratitude to God for the joyful news of their increase of faith. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Many of the believers in Thessalonica had turned from idols to serve the living and true God. The apostle declared that in their faithfulness in following the Lord, they were ensamples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. Dwell more on the question of role models other than Jesus. What advantages and disadvantages come with them? 2. 
Paul spends a great portion of this letter giving thanks to God for the Thessalonians. What role can or should thanksgiving play in our worship experience, both personally and corporately? 3. If people around you were looking for evidence of your church's faith, what would they find? How could or should things be different? 4. Why is affirmation of others so important? At the same time, why must we be careful as we do this? And 5. Think through again how important the doctrine of the second coming is to our faith. What good reasons do we have for trusting in something that's so radical, that's so unlike anything that has ever happened before? And to summarize this week's lesson, Paul found much joy in offering thanks to God for the abundant evidences of his work in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. In sharing the content of his prayers with them, Paul hoped to motivate them to continue growing in the faith and in their outreach efforts toward others. And now for Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, Talking Hands. Six children of the Jacksonville South Point Seventh-day Adventist Church in Florida wanted to share their faith with others. They attended a weekend training program for kids called Go Fish and learned several fun ways to tell others about Jesus. They learned to tell stories, lead singing and use puppets. They returned home excited about what they had learned. So, their pastor asked with a smile, How are you going to tell others about Jesus? The children loved learning to work with puppets and making them look as if they're alive as they talk, listen and wonder. At the end of the training session, the children received a puppet of their own. We want to use puppets to tell about God, one of the children said. The children write their own scripts and help make their costumes and props with help from their parents. One of our skits is about two boys who get into a fight, says Tenva. One of the puppet ministry kids. The puppet's friends stop the fight and they talk about how peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We also do skits about Bible characters, says Isabel, another member of the group. One of our skits is about the ten lepers Jesus healed. It takes a lot of practice to learn the lines and coordinate the puppet's movements with the words so they look realistic. But the children, who are between 10 and 12 years old, are willing to work hard so others can learn that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. It's easier to tell others about Jesus when your friends are working with you, says Tenva. At first I was a little scared because I had never done something like this before. Now when I see the smiles on people's faces, when we finish a program, I know it's worth the work. Sharing Jesus with others is an important part of the team's ministry. Recently, we took our puppets to a program that helps teenagers who have dropped out of school and gotten into trouble, Abigail added. We presented several skits for them and prayed that we help them get their lives back on track. For the children in the puppet ministry, learning how to be God's disciples has involved learning to talk with their hands. They are helping other boys and girls learn that Jesus wants to be their best friend forever. And there's a lovely photograph here of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven children, four boys and three girls, and they have six puppets between them. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia, 
and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.